0: Welcome to Insights. This is Paul Ellis, Managing Director of Ellis Wealth Management. Ellis Wealth Management is an independent, privately held investment company focused on planning, advice, coaching, and investment management. We are dedicated to the families we serve, and we encourage you to invest in what you love. Within Insights, we look at ways to make our world richer through focusing on, sharing, and developing human capital well good morning Good morning. Listen, what a great day. Uh, We are really lucky today. Uh, I have with us a good friend of mine, Kyle Johnson. Kyle Johnson. Good morning, Kyle. Good morning. Listen, what an honor to have you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. Um, If I can, I'd just like to introduce you. I've known you for a number of years, um, you are a super lawyer. Uh, that's actually a designation, and you've held that designation uh, for years. It's a, it's a very elite designation actually voted on by your peers. Um, is that correct?
1: That's correct.
0: Yes. Uh, you have a degree, your a law degree, a JD from the University of Washington. You have your master's in law in taxation. I believe that's from George Washington Law. Uh, You are a lieutenant lieutenant colonel in the United States Army Reserve, and you practice law there as well. You've managed uh, law firms. You founded law firms. You're involved in a number of nonprofits. Um, I met you at the Lake Washington Technical College. You were the foundation board president. You're on the... Artist Trust Board, you've been involved with the Lenny Wilkins Foundation Board, the Pratt Fine Arts Board, and you currently are the chair of the Sun Valley Opera. Is that correct? That's all correct. That's a busy life, my friend. <laughs> well, it's fun. I <laughs> encourage everybody
1: to get involved in nonprofits, but don't do more than one at a time.
0: Not more and than then you can put your. Not more than one at a time?
1: Your, yep, then you can put your energy into it, because you're not doing it for fame, I can tell you that. <laughs> you're doing it to pay it forward and help people.
0: That's true. That is true. Well, let me ask you, what influenced you to get into into the law field?
1: Well, that's a pretty easy one to answer. When I was in high school, I wanted to be an engineer because it was the big thing with the Russians and space, steel, and everybody wanted to be an engineer. So I got the catalog from the University of Washington Engineering School, and I read it. And that was enough for me. It was the same stuff I was doing every summer working for the Forest Service, measuring roads and doing stuff like that. And I I suddenly realized this really wasn't what I wanted to do. (laughs) So I, I read a couple books, about lawyers, and I thought this seems pretty cool to me. I could visualize being in a courtroom. I couldn't really visualize the engineer thing. So that's how I got into law. I made a decision my last year of high school, and I stuck with it.
0: Oh, that is great! That is great. Now, listen. um Now, you were uh, how did you how did you go from the law school to being a lieutenant colonel in in the U.S. Army Reserve?
1: Vietnam. Mm. I was caught by Vietnam. When I got out of law school, I was only 24. Vietnam was still going on. I was 1A in the draft, and they had a draft. It was before the lottery. So I applied to be a JAG officer, which meant I had to do a four-year commitment. So I committed. I went in the military. and It was actually one of the best things I ever did because I got great experience. I met a lot of wonderful people. And I served my four years. And when I got out, I stayed in the reserves. reserves. Mm. Nice. I got my 20-year letter. And then I said, I think it's time to get out. So I, I stayed one more year and then I
0: retired. Wow. So when you were, you weren't, were you drafted or were you not drafted? No, I was not drafted.
1: But clearly I would have been. Okay. Because I was 1A and I wasn't somebody who was going to drink 18 coca-colas and try to flunk my draft physical. Okay. (laughs) And I wasn't going to Canada. So it was pretty simple. If I could get in the JAG Corps, I was going to do it. Got it. And I wasn't married. I wasn't married at that time. If you had children, they wouldn't take you, they wouldn't draft you. So I was target a.
2: Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. So you, you, you manage the process.
1: I manage the process, that's a good way of putting it.
0: Excellent. Now, you started some law firms and um, you've been a managing partner in law firms and then you moved, uh, what was the specialty there?
1: I was a general business lawyer for years and I did a fair amount of commercial litigation. And then towards the end of my career, I started doing more and more high net worth divorces And I wound up mediating and arbitrating. I'm a AAA arbitrator. which That's American Arbitration Association. So I sort of did a variety of things through my career, most of them involving people as opposed to corporations.
0: Got it. Okay. And then so at at the, I won't say the tail end of your career, but you, you navigated towards mediation. Yes. Okay, and uh, what did you learn? What did you learn about being a mediator versus you know the the divorce world or or some of the other areas?
1: Well, the background of mediation is that for years there was no such thing, and when I started practicing law, we would settle cases by talking to the other lawyer. And that's how they got settled. A lot of them got settled on the courthouse steps. Cases got settled, but they weren't, we didn't use third parties. And then I started getting introduced to third party mediators. There was a guy out of San Francisco who was really good. And so I, as a lawyer with clients, I attended a number of mediations and participated in settlement negotiations. And mediation caught on as a way to settle disputes. And it became more and more popular. And right now, today, you can hardly settle a case without going to mediation. Lawyers don't talk to each other much anymore. They wait for the mediation. So I started doing mediations as a mediator, and I've done a fair number of them.
0: Wow! Still am. So in the past, they used to attorneys used to basically banter back and forth amongst each other. Um... And then try and come to an agreement. Similar to in a few good men, you've got, is uh, it Kevin Bacon and, um, oh, what's his name? <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, Tom Cruise. And you see them at the burger joint, you know, arguing over the case off to the side, right? Um,
1: yes. And that was what I was taught by example more than anybody teaching me. If you, We're afraid to talk about your case with the other lawyer. Maybe it wasn't a very good case. (laughs) So we would a lot of times have lunch and sometimes do it by phone, sometimes meet in person, and try to settle the case and talk about the merits of the case. And that's old history. Nobody does that anymore. At least I don't think they do.
0: Okay. Well, what did you learn through that process? What have you learned in the area of negotiation uh, as a mediator?
1: Well, there's two things that everybody knows, but they don't practice. Number one, listen. I mean, the sound of your own voice is really attractive, but try to listen. And then the second rule is try not to make the first offer, which is sort of fundamental to making deals. And the not making the first offer is the hardest because everybody knows I don't want to make the first offer. So as a mediator, you have to force one side to make an offer. That's usually the way it works. And usually the offer is unrealistic. Hmm. So you tell them it's unrealistic, but you convey the offer. And you get it going back and forth. And that's the essence probably of most negotiations. And, I mean, negotiation process is fascinating. You know, we all know a lot about it from politics, starting with the Vietnam War, when they spent three months arguing over the shape of the table. (laughs) So most people can't afford that level of negotiation. And the mediation process compels people to say, we're going to do it for half a day. We're going to do it for two hours. Or we're going to do it for all day, or sometimes they get scheduled for a couple of days. Depends on how complicated it is.
0: Hmm. Interesting. What sort of cases would need to go to mediation and you know, family, family arbitration, family law?
1: Well, in the family law area, children are a huge area, visitation, mm. child support, custodial or parenting arrangements, joint parenting, and then finances to a lesser extent because a lot of times finances are pretty cut and dry. The Both parties have a job. They have a certain amount of income. My specialty was more high-net-worth stuff, so not so much with kids but more with money, Valuation issues, dividing up assets, maintenance, and that sort of thing. And then there's civil disputes, which are very complicated. I mean, there are mediators who do nothing but mediate insurance claims. They get get picked by insurance companies to mediate personal injury, house repair disputes, you name it.
0: Wow. If
1: there's there's a lawsuit, there's a need for a mediator, unless it's some straight over tackle collection deal. Even then, when somebody owes money, many, many times they can't pay it immediately. That's why they owe the money. Mm -hmm. And... So there's a mediation over how they're going to pay it and what kind of security there will be. What kind of collateral
2: there will be. Okay.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that means that you break it down, you you have a a beautiful way of breaking things down to the most simple level, right? I mean, obviously if there's issues with money, then they generally can't pay it up front, right? Um And I think that skill... Either
1: that or they dispute whether they owe it. But I want to come back to the first point I made about mediation because I didn't say enough about it. And that is listening. And there's a trick in listening that people need to learn. And that is to look at the other person and not say anything. Mm -hmm. Silence is impossible for most people to endure. So if you really want to know what somebody thinks... Don't ask them. Just bring up the subject and be quiet.
0: I'm taking notes.
1: I thought maybe I was (laughs) trying my trick on you and you weren't going to (laughs) talk.
0: Oh, that's... So So, what have you recognized in the high net worth area uh, or trends in negotiation and mediation work? Where, where do you see us going, and what, what sort of trends do you see?
1: Equalization. I mean, the old day in the old days, the courts were very protective of women, but at the same time very destructive of their finances because it was a very paternalistic system. That's not true anymore. And it's become clear that men, for example, have just as much right to spend time with their children as women do. And women are equal to men in earning power. In many cases, women earn more. So a lot of men have had to deal with that reality, which is sometimes hard on their ego.
2: <laughs>
1: You'd be surprised the things the hot buttons people have. But people are people. And it varies from state to state. I mean, we're not, state of Washington is not California, where you see these large maintenance awards of $100,000 a month. That's not going to happen in the state of Washington as a general rule. But people are getting wealthier. So the richer people get the more interesting issues there are in terms of dividing up assets and how much money one party has to pay the other. It's really hard on a lot of women to realize that they're richer than their husband and they're going to have to pay it. It's still part of our tradition that men are the protector. But that's changing. Personally, I think it's a change for the better, but it is a change. It's a change in the trend.
0: Is it surprising to uh, women to find out that they're being treated equally in regards to the, uh, the, the cost and the load?
1: Yes, to a lot of women it is, because they haven't thought that way. But women are flexible. They, they learn quickly. And it's a fact in dealing with divorce that a lot of the assumptions people have are wrong. Now, for example, the assumption that the mother is always going to get full custody of the children. That was the assumption for years.
2: Yeah.
1: And it was also the assumption that visitation could be dealt with with a simple sentence that said, visitation shall be reasonable and liberal. That's not the way it is anymore. Now it's filled out. How many days a week, the hours you pick them up, where you pick up the kids, what you can do with them. It's very detailed. And it's frankly, added to the growth of the family law bar because of the need for legal involvement in what on the surface seems like a fairly simple problem.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Is that regardless of status or class in, in as far as this mediation goes and, and having to, to work through those problems? Or do you find that higher net worth families have more detailed issues around the children um, or or less?
1: No, I don't think it matters. I don't think the high net worth people have easier issues. They, They might have a nanny that they share, but the amount of money you make really, doesn't have much to do with your love for your children or your desire to spend time with them. It's just a matter of what practically can be done and what kind of visitation works. And the best people to figure that out are the people involved, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. The courts courts don't do that great a job, and they'll be the first to tell
0: you. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you give to someone prior to coming to mediation? would what, what you you've got two couples what what would be your what would be your advice to them
1: oh that's pretty simple enter with realistic expectations and I really blame a lot of lawyers for unrealistic expectations but a lot of clients have very unrealistic expectations they think that the other party is going to be is going to be basically, whipped and sent out into the street to earn a living and and they don't have realistic expectations of what's going to happen and I blame the lawyers for that for the most part although sometimes clients tend to take their advice from their friends who support them Mm -hmm. and then it's a rude awakening when they realize what the reality of life is but it's unrealistic expectations. So be realistic, have your paperwork in order, have your bullet points. Bullet points are a fairly big deal in mediations. Okay. You wanna have something you can tell a mediator that the mediator can use for the other side to persuade them to reach a resolution.
0: Or as I used to say, have your ducks lined up in a row.
1: Well, that's very good advice. Don't go unprepared. Don't go with a preconceived notion that you're going to walk out if it doesn't work.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, the one power a mediator has, if they exercise it, is to say to the parties, you can't leave unless I agree with you that you're not going to reach a settlement. So what's the point of a mediation? The point is to try to settle your case. It isn't to flex your muscles and threaten the other side. That's not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to settle your case. And litigation is so expensive. The court system is so backed up for the most part. And now with remote courtrooms, you're going to be sitting in your house probably. Mm-hmm on Zoom. So, you're dealing with a different world.
0: That's interesting. Really, one's expectations need to be realigned.
1: Yes. you got to be realistic. And, realistic expectations are, in large part, shaped by your lawyer's advice. The lawyer should know the case well enough to be able to tell you that's not gonna work. You're not gonna get that. Let's get real. Here's the range. Every case has a range. And if you get within the range, you need to think seriously about selling it. Let's say you want $100,000, and I wanna pay you $10. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty big range. So you come down to 60 and I go up to 40. Well, all of a sudden we're in a range where this case not only should settle, but it almost has to settle. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Neither one of us can afford to go to court for 20,000 bucks. So maybe I come up five grand and you come down 15, but we, we get it settled by being realistic. And recognizing that the process will grind us down and is more expensive than the results justify.
0: That makes a lot of sense.
1: Most of the time, it's just math. That's true even of visitation disputes. You know, if you take a calendar and you look at 14 days in a row and you're going to get the kids five of those 14 days, and if you go to court, maybe you get six nights instead of five. Is it worth going to court when it screws up your kids because they see this fighting? Because kids always know. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So there's a range, and if you get into the range, you got to think seriously about settling. And one of the things you can do as a mediator is tell people as gently as possible, Hey, you're in a range where you want to settle this thing.
0: Yeah, because the clock's ticking, and the as is the um, you know the dollar signs, right?
1: The dollars are astronomical. Mediators charge a lot of money. Some of the mediators charge as much as eight hundred to a thousand bucks an hour. And some charge a lot less. Some charge by the block of time. But it still costs money, and then your lawyer costs money. So you've got to think about what you're doing with your time and not waste it in emotional or angry displays threatening the other side.
0: Ego costs money is what you're sharing.
1: Ego costs a lot of money. And truthfully, nobody cares. I mean, if you hate your neighbor and you're in a dispute with your neighbor and you go to court or you get in a mediation, the mediator can care less that you hate the neighbor. (laughs) Whatever the neighbor did, yelled at you, dumped dog poop on your lawn, whatever. The mediator doesn't care. The mediator just wants to try to get your case and your dispute
0: resolved. So would it be fair to say that the large portion of what needs to be worked through is ego and feelings to get to this reasonable bandwidth?
1: Depending on how experienced the people are, yes. If the people are professional in terms of their litigation background, like if you're doing this with an insurance company, the insurance company has no emotion about what you're going through. They -hmm. do this all the time. So it depends on who the parties are. If it's two banks fighting with each other, obviously they're not going to be as emotional. Do banks have feelings? Well, interestingly enough, I learned a long time ago they actually do. You want to be careful in terms of throwing out insults if you're involved in a
0: dispute. Mm -hmm. That's wise.
1: Well, it might feel good for 20 seconds, but people remember that kind of stuff.
0: So it's, it, it would be beneficial to hold your tongue and save, save money and, and problems.
1: If you want to resolve a dispute, if you want to win a negotiation, avoid personalizing. If you personalize a dispute, you make it much harder to settle. Because then it becomes a matter of ego. And a lot of times, one person in a dispute has a hell of a lot more money than the other person. And they can afford to just sit there and not do anything,
2: mm-hmm.
1: particularly if you've insulted them or personalized it in some way by insulting a member of their family or suggesting that they're unethical or immoral or something.
0: That's great advice. That is great advice. Well, listen, I want to thank you. Um, let me ask you a couple of questions not related to mediation. I know, again, you're very busy with, um, What's been the biggest influence on your life? Or who?
1: Oh, without a doubt, where I grew up. I grew up in a small town in the state of Washington near Mount Adams. There were 10 kids in my graduating class in high school. And it was, and still is, a huge advantage in dealing with the world. Because We should always look at ourselves as humorous characters and think, what would a man from Mars think if he saw us doing this right now? And if you come from a really small community, it's very easy to get that mindset because you weren't brought up in a way where people's money or status meant all that much to
2: you.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I think, didn't Twilight Zone have some a couple of episodes where people from Mars were setting up issues and then they would watch and see how the earthlings would react?
1: Well, and there's that theory that we're living in a computer simulation. I don't buy that, but there is that theory. And I think Elon Musk has advanced that idea.
2: <laughs> yeah, but so the is...
1: biggest thing about coming from a Smaller town is, you realize that. Hey, once you get twenty five miles outside of Seattle, probably less than that, nobody's heard of you and nobody cares. Good, so good point. You are your own person, and you're responsible for your own destiny and your your own
0: character. That's true. What are you curious outside of work right now? I again, you're you're a very 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 busy man. Uh, what what are you curious about right now? Oh, I'm, right now I'm interested
1: in this Mars stuff. I've got this fantasy idea that they're going to discover that at one time it was a warm enough planet that there were actually people there, or some kind of life that was intelligent. I think that'd be a fascinating thing to discover.
0: Indeed. I was listening to the what was that, NASA Channel or something, and that rover uh, was only expected to to work for a few months. I mean, it's been years now. Oh, yeah. You know, so there's people... Yeah, tr-
1: and I saw a quote the other day that I think is probably true, that if we ever encounter extraterrestrial life, it'll be in the form of radio waves. It's not going to be little green men that are going to show up and surprise us. So the Mars thing is maybe as close as we're going to get. I don't know.
0: Well, it's interesting. I mean, if there were, you know, three people on Mars, I'm sure one would be having to mediate for the other at some point or another.
1: Well, if you've got three people involved, the thing I learned as a lawyer quickly was two of them are going to turn on the third one. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. If I got three people who came into my office and want to do a partnership, it was almost guaranteed that not only would there be a partnership, but then there would be a partnership breakup. Hmm. I hate to be such a wet blanket about it, but it's unusual to see the opposite. People's egos get in the way. (laughs) Somebody's more important than the other one. Things happen. And the relationship breaks down.
0: Ego is huge. Ego ego is yeah. huge. And it's sad. Yeah, it is. It's sad, right? I mean um
2: I remember Well,
1: but you need a good you need a good self concept. There's a difference between ego and self concept. Self concept is very important. Giant ego is less important.
0: That is correct. That is correct. Well, are you still taking clients, Kyle? Or are you in semi-retirement? Or what are you doing on a regular week?
1: Well, I, I like Warren Zevin's line, I can sleep when I'm dead. I guess that would be my answer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. Well, if anyone's interested in contacting you, how would they contact you?
1: Well, I've got a website. I've got an email. And I've got a phone number, and as long as you don't call me up and threaten me, I'm happy to talk to you.
0: Okay. What uh, would you like to share? That or or
1: yeah, my uh, email is kyle for dispute resolution number four at gmail.com. My phone number is 206-604-3810. and beyond that. I'm too modest to say much more. I could give you a, a PO box if you want to send me a check, but I don't think anybody's going to do
2: that. So.
0: <laughs> well, with the knowledge they learned today, there there should be royalties for sure. So thank you. Thank you. Listen, my friend, we... You... Well... I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead.
1: No, no. I was just going to say it's been fun. Thanks for your
0: questions. Listen, it, it has been an absolute honor to have the chance to speak with you and... Uh, learn more about your 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 past and uh, i think there's a lot of great information that people can use so i want to thank you very much and again want to encourage everyone
2: to always to invest in what you love